0: I don't want to be weeding the garden right now. Okay, well, what makes this more interesting? Let's put on some music in my ears. Okay. It might be that simple. But just to notice and refuse to live inside the I have to, just like any other delusion. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, we started a dialectic to investigate the truth about adulthood. When does it start? What does it mean to be an adult? The answers to those questions aren't so simple, though, and the definitions seem to keep shifting over time, both for us as individuals and for society as a whole. This week, we're going to move past the logistics and legal considerations for adulthood and start addressing the concept of emotional adulthood and the I have to delusion. Also, the 2020 clear and open academic year is about to begin with the fall course, Money, From Burden to Freedom. Of all the realms of business and personal management, money holds the greatest opportunity for change for a deceptively simple reason, because it's easy. Money is easier than marketing, sales, operations, customer service, and it's far easier than leadership and management. In fact, if you completed 8th grade, you have all the math skills you need to manage money. You need only the barest critical thinking skills, and you don't even need much time. Finance, quite simply, is one of the most rudimentary aspects of human existence. Then, you may be thinking, why are we so bad at it? People have problems with money for the same reasons they have issues with God, sex, and power. They have distorted beliefs and assumptions that cause them to behave Rationally and immaturely. Everyone, everyone begins with a messed up relationship with money. Money in its most basic form is a symbol of value and nothing else. It's squeaky clean and far from being the root of any evil, but the wounded ego in us changes it. We project onto money our deepest insecurities and make a mess. I've wanted to do a course on money for a long time and it's finally happening. Money from Burden to Freedom begins September 24th, 2020 at 11.15 a.m. Pacific Time. The content of the course is practical, proven methods for managing money, which we'll use to find your problematic relationships with it. In other words, I'm going to give you things to do, and when you have trouble, we'll find out what's in the way on a psycho-spiritual level. For more information, please go to clearandopen.com slash money. Okay, thanks for listening. Let's start the show. So the goalposts are moving even in the basic logistical ways of supporting oneself and having uh, grown-up responsibilities that's being pushed forward. So we've talked about some of those, uh, I don't know what you call them, the sort of logistical responsibility type adulthood, like having bills to pay and keeping the lights on and that kind of stuff. We could call that logistical adulthood. What about emotional adulthood? We touched upon that already when we talked about the sober and measured response thing, being without projection, seeing things as they are. Let's make it more specific. How does, how does an adult relate to work? What is an adult relationship to work?
1: I don't, think there's an an, I don't think there's an answer to these questions as many of these questions as absolute. But I think this certainly is a journey to determine sort of a spectrum between not and yes, certainly, you know what I mean? But I think that has to do with more of the mechanical side of it, because your relationship to work is related to your need for, for supporting yourself as an adult where you're not being supported by somebody else. So I think that has to do, I think that falls more into the sort of the transactional side of the equation more than the uh, your relationship to work. But how you emotionally deal with work is certainly a, a question and uh, it's easier to define what isn't an adult than what is an adult for me. That's often the nature of a
0: dialectic. We're, we're going the negative way here by uh, understanding what it isn't. And that's another way. To, well, and we can f- turn it upside down on its head, as you're saying. Like, how does, a, how does a teenager relate to work? When we think about a non-adult, a slightly less than adult relationship to
1: work, what is that? They feel like they're put upon, that, you know, something they shouldn't have to do. They don't. They show up with their own interests rather than their work interests being their primary interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things of that nature.
0: Yeah. Anyone have anything to add? That's a good list, Bob. What is the teenage relationship to work?
2: I, I, I think, and I, I don't have the exact word uh, definition for it, but I would characterize it as the parent-child relationship—the us, them, the the man working for the man—kind of a thing where it's you aren't opting in. I I think if you look at an an immature, a non-adult view of work, it's one of of servitude, like you're the child to the parent. I can't quite think of the word for it, but I would think that a a mature adult relationship to work is what can I bring to my work? What am I going to get out of it? How is this going to grow? Like that same measured response, if I'm Mm -hmm. taking the data point, the data point is work, how am I going to use that as part of who I am rather than an us, them, parent, child, you know, a hierarchical
0: kind of thing. But,
2: and yeah. I, I'm struggling at the word for that, but that's the gist of it.
0: That- yeah, well done. So let me see if I can summarize a little bit. What I would say the teenage relationship to work is mm, summed up in the uh, the short phrase, I don't want to. I don't wanna. I shouldn't have to. I don't wanna. It's too hard. The demands being put on me are unreasonable. They're out to get me. All of the working for the man type stuff, the feeling of persecution, victimhood, uh, unfairness, sort of toil that's not in one's self interest, the feeling that one is sacrificing their time for another in order to survive. Who in the last week have had any of these experiences? Come on now. If you don't raise your hand, I don't believe you. Or you're not paying attention. <laughs> right? This is how it is, right? We, we have both a mix of more mature and less mature relationships to work. And we uh, work to ensure that those don't leak through. Into our actions, interactions, and experience. But, you know, show me any business and I will help you find an us versus them dynamic between management and employees. It's there in almost every business. Why is that? Because the business is not made up entirely of adults. Right? So, what do most businesses do with that? What do they do with the resentment, authority projections? I don't want to the doing the minimum to get by thing that teenagers do, and I'm not running it down. I've you know this is not all of us. I'm, we're just defining it as that's not an adult relationship to work. But when you think about like the last time you talked to the Social Security Administration or the IRS or a bank or an insurance company or an airline. How often do you experience that the person helping you is really just doing the minimum to get by? Right? This is the seed. This is the basis of bad service, of unprofessionalism, of mediocrity.
3: Yeah, and Joseph, we, to, to, go ahead. Sorry, i like, you just hit like a spot right there. It's like, what's the they're just doing the minimum to get by? You know, we're talking about um like what is the teenage mindset? It's like, I remember my first job and a lot of people I know, their first job, the reason we got a first job, because we had a goal in mind. I wanted that new pair of shoes. I wanted to buy that first car. Mm-hmm. I wanted to buy something on my own. So we worked for that goal in mind, where as we get to adults, we forget about that goal that we're working for. And we just work because it's what's expected of us and it's what we need to do to get by on a daily basis. So when you bring up like, you know, people are just doing that minimum work to get by. It's like because they might have lost sight of the goals that they had and why they have the job and why they have the career. So as management, we need to help remind them of what the goals we have.
0: Beautifully said, Desmond. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, it's exciting in the beginning when you're making your own money. Right? You can do things, you you have the power of choice, and then you do things like get your own apartment and or have children and suddenly the agency of power and choice that that responsibility and money gave you, it switches to be a burden and you feel like you're trapped in it because you've got to keep making money to support all that uh, infrastructure you created that needs maintaining. Right? you got to keep the lights on. And so I agree. The responsibility of a manager, an adult manager, who wants to help an uh, employee operate more in adulthood is to appeal to their self-interest and this is one of the reasons why i talk so much about this because it's the healthy self-interest that motivates an adult an adult i would assert does not do anything ever because they have to take that in for a second an adult does not do anything ever because they have to because they know that they don't have to do anything. There's nothing you have to do. Think critically about this for a second. What is it that you think you have to do?
1: Anybody? It's one of our company's core values. What is? Have to shifts to get to. Nice. I love like, that. People are like, I have to do this. And it's like, well, no, you, no, you don't have to. And it's been fun to Educate our son, Zach, on this one and refuse to accept I have to do anything from him. And yeah. Go, you don't have to do that. You could choose not to do that. And here's what would happen. Yeah. And, and why is that so important
0: as a value? Because the shift from have to to get to is a shift from teenager to adult. Because one of the things we're starting to touch upon here is that adulthood is not a noun. It's a verb you can act like an adult a lot of the day and then completely melt down and act like a teenager for the second half of the day. And But if you hold the idea that adulthood is some kind of permanent fixture noun that comes on your 21st, birth, 21st birthday, then you're forever going to look at your own behavior through the lens of, I'm already an adult. Not helpful. Because that will screen out the ways in which you're not behaving like an adult. Like a circus mirror. You're not going to be seeing it as it is. So the shift from have to, to get to, that's a shift in consciousness. And we're talking about what adult consciousness is. And... What's beautiful about Bob's value is in just a couple of words, it encapsulates that shift in consciousness and touches a lot of other things because that's responsibility and ownership right there.
2: I remember one of the first times I recognized that I saw an adult under that definition. I was working for a large corporate um, uh, internet security company and we had this guy who came in, his name's John, and he was, I don't know, if I had to guess 50, if I had to guess. And he didn't get caught up in the politics. He didn't get caught up in the power structure. He was paid really, really well. And he was never frazzled. And I went in and one day I was like, dude, I don't get it, man. You're like, you're tough one. I don't. And he was like, Ed, I do what I love and I'll do it here or I'll do it somewhere else. And... I'm beholden to me. And like, he, he genuinely didn't, not only did he, and at the time I thought, didn't care. was like an angsty thing. oh I don't give a shit about the man. He, it was just at peace. He was like, you know what? Yeah. I get to do this intellectually fascinating thing. I'm going to do it here. And if I'm not doing it here, I'll be doing it on my own or for somewhere else. That's it. And I didn't really know how to frame that, but this is probably how I would frame it. Like mm-hmm. he's, and an adult in all the ways we've described, and he's he was just fascinated by what he did, and he happened to be getting paid for the company we both worked at, where I was caught up in all the other stuff and the things, and
3: you know, and, said.
2: and all, I think everyone else, would,
0: yeah. So anyway, yeah, it sounds like an Ayn Rand hero, like from the Fountainhead. Is just like this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do it really well. There will be obstacles, whatever. You know, so. He, he wasn't like a child caught up in the politics or drama uh, around him. And he wasn't like a teenager rebelling against them, gossiping about it, complaining about it. It was right in the middle. And there was a sort of centered, resilient resolve. I agree. With you, that's an adult. While we're on the subject, gossip. Does an adult gossip? Why or why not? And I'll get to, I saw some hands. We'll get to that in a second. Does does an adult gossip?
1: Yes, adults do gossip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I read an interesting article about that recently. Um, it's one of the ways that women in particular have been able to maintain a sense of uh, unity within the workforce when it was stacked against them, historically.
0: Okay. So is um, getting together and venting frustrations and corroborating on a rebellious sense of reality, is that something that an adult needs to do? Do people over the age of 21 gossip? Yes. Does an adult gossip? Is it healthy or is it an understandable compensatory behavior?
1: I don't know. It took me a long time to stop gossiping.
0: <laughs> well, based on Desmond's definition of adulthood being a progressive dynamic, perhaps that was the process of of uh, becoming an adult. See, now that's a high bar. Now, and you know, around the uh, the uh, women's issue that you just brought up, I would say in in that case, I'm glad that that venue was available to people. Sometimes getting together and venting about a problem. I mean, God, every union that ever overturned a uh, uh, unhealthy persecution workplace started out probably in the seeds of gossip. Like, hey, did you hear what happened to so and so? That manager said blah blah blah. Okay, you could say that's gossip, but then it was worked with in a productive way. So I would say, you know, we have to spend some time defining gossip. But if we define gossip as the unproductive venting or sharing of um, stories without uh, a noble intention to actually change things for the better, which is usually what it is, then I would offer that that's not an adult behavior. That's what teenagers do because it's a form of
3: entertainment. It's it's hard to stay out of the gossip though because that's what society literally teaches us every day. Everything's gossip from Uh Twitter to news to the internet to Facebook. Mm-hmm. everything's gossip so it's hard not to buy into it even if it's like the littlest thing like retweeting something yep that's gossip right there
0: yep you know and then
3: you bring it into the workplace it's hard when you hear something on the side it's like oh uh, you know it, it's hard to stay away from that because as society we're actually taught to gossip now yeah uh, and that's how we portray news facts, thoughts, everything. Yes, I
0: totally agree. I think we could all easily agree with Desmond's uh, uh, implicit assertion here that being an adult is hard. I agree.
3: It's I agree hard, right? Yes. but I do want to say that um, I think the word gossip has morphed because I believe gossip used to be um, revealing personal information about someone or sensational facts
1: mm-hmm. that...
3: You have no right to share someone else's story, mm-hmm. right? You are getting yourself in between the person and their story, and I think the word gossip has got so big that every time you do share it, they say, "Are you gossiping?" So there is value to you, Rebecca, in um, having conversations with friends and coworkers and family to discuss things that are frustrating and maybe related to someone else. See your way to get the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, if you're simply telling someone else's story, you have no right to tell that I see as gossip.
0: Well, yeah, let's be a little more specific about it because um, this is illustrative of, of what we're trying to talk about here the The difference between a teenage consciousness and adult consciousness is not at the level of action, it's at the level of motive so when uh, if you're wanting to talk with someone about someone else right. That could look a lot of different ways. It could be you're sharing personal details about them because it's some juicy gossip. And oh man, did you hear that blah, blah, blah did blah, blah, blah to blah, blah, blah? Right. And it has this kind of immature feeling to it. And it's what's the motive? Entertainment, um, feeling better than, you know, and other kind of immature motives like that. But if the motive is so and so did something to so and so, and here's my reaction to that, I want to share with you what that is, and I want to help digesting this because I got really triggered by it. That's a mature motive. You see? In content, it might look the same. So I would never support any work culture or any other kind of culture to engage in a kind of dynamic where someone starts a a conversation and the other person says, "Uh, are you gossiping? Or that's gossip and shut it down like that. That I would say is immature on its own. I would say if someone starts gossiping with you or suspects gossiping as we're defining it negatively here, I would say that the mature thing to do is to say, um, ask a question like, what is it you're wanting to really talk about here? Is this about your reaction to this or are you just wanting to tell this story? What is this for you? To try to find what that is for them because it might be there. And so it's, that's holding a mirror up. That's a form of accountability. What's interesting in looking at
2: um, times in my life when I've gossiped most, you you brought up those teenage elements. The one for me that rings the truest is the power or specifically lack of power and gossip as a means to ladder climb, to get that power that we can't quite grasp, which is again, a very teenage thing. You don't have the power to have your own place or your own money or your own whatever, and I've noticed in corporate structures where I felt that I was on the outside looking in. I didn't view it as an intentional strategy at the time, but that was in part entertainment and power. And yeah. Yeah. Just trying to advance.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm working with a team right now of high level professionals in a you know hundred million dollar or so company. And the team is quite dysfunctional and Almost all of them, uh, all, almost all of the people on this team know it. And they will not be direct with each other. And it slows everything down. There's past mistrusts and wounds that are unresolved. Um, there's, uh, ways in, in which they're not forthcoming with each other. And the result of it is that the communication is so frictiony and broken down. That when each person tries to represent the point of view of another person on the team around a new location or you know, stuff like that, they cannot accurately do that because they're not actually ever really talking. But they'll talk very directly with other people about their experience of the members of their team, but they won't actually share with each other the impact they have on each other. And so the effect of that is it breaks down communication and they're not connected. And this is why gossip. One of the reasons why it's so destructive, it's it takes communication energy out of the primary relationship. So you know, again, like I'm, again, don't hold this as a rule. It's not productive as a rule. You will find yourself gossiping. Terrific. When you do, pivot and say and say to yourself, okay. Am I saying something that I would say directly to the person? Would it be useful to do that? Am I afraid of doing that? What is this really about? I'm experiencing a lack of power. I hate my boss or I hate this new thing we're doing. And rather than telling my manager that I hate this thing we're doing, I'm talking to a coworker about it to blow off steam. What does that really mean? Like Ed was saying, to feel like I'm more in control and my opinion matters. OK? Well, it's like sugar. It gives you some energy in the beginning. How does it work long term? Does that power actually sustain? You know, a, a brief investigation will show you that it doesn't. What it does is it just creates a division. Okay, well, I feel temporarily and sort of falsely empowered because I got to tell my opinion to someone that makes no difference. Versus figure out the very difficult way of respectfully bringing your opinion to your manager and actually saying, here's this this change that has been made in the organization. I don't agree with it. And here's why I think that. Which would create a dialectic, wouldn't it? Right. There would be a, a, a meeting of forces where either of a few things would happen. Either you discover you're wrong and it is the right thing. Either the manager discovers you're right and the thing changes. Or you discover you are right and the manager won't listen, in which case you discover you should be looking for another job, also another good outcome. right? There are all wins there. You might get fired on the spot, which might appear to be a bad thing in the beginning. But if you can't tell your truth respectfully to, to your boss, you should be looking for another job, shouldn't you? Well, it's up to you. But it means that's not the place for you. I would offer because an adult wouldn't work for someone that they don't respect. Another thing I would throw out there an adult doesn't work for someone that they don't respect because they know they're living a (laughs) lot. So either you work out your disrespect with your manager and find the projection that it is, even if you know you disrespect all sorts of stuff about them but you find okay here's the 10% thing that they got going on that I can learn from all right fine i've done that you know i'm i've worked for people who that i'm smarter than smarter than so i find okay well what is it i can learn from them well they have this skill and this attribute okay then that's my focus that's where my respect is and i work with that but a teenager says that person sucks but hey you got to pay the bills So I'm going to keep this job. And then the manager wonders why the employee is so disengaged. And the employee wonders why they're so miserable. And then you multiply that times like 100 million, and then that's the mediocrity in our world. Just like that. Why did that hit you so hard, (laughs) Ned?
2: Dude, because it's big. It's because I've personally lived it uh, the majority of my life, whether that that person is a client or a boss or a, a whatever. And I think seeing that, I, I think I visualize myself as that teenager and the coach that I didn't respect, right. Or the teacher or the, the whoever, well, that just becomes the boss that becomes the client that becomes the, whatever that you have to do this stuff. Yeah. And you don't have to, you don't, mm-hmm. but we do more often than not in 90 90- plus 99, whatever percentage, percent of, of cases as a, as a society. So mm-hmm. I think it's huge.
0: Yeah, thanks. well from my personal experience and, and those uh, people friends and colleagues. So. And by the way, while we're on that subject, does anybody want to protest the have to thing? Does anybody not understand? Because it's a really simple way of understanding uh, the, that we don't, ha- we don't have to do anything. The simplest way to understand it is because you always have the option to commit suicide. And that it sounds morbid or, and or funny, but it's really quite profound because it, it doesn't appear that any other animal on this planet has the ability to do that. And that means you can always opt out. You always can. Now, you could say, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, and you know, Or I think bad things will happen if I do that. And yada, yada, yada. But that doesn't mean you don't have the choice. And that, to me, is the most profound metaphysic about victimhood. That you're never a victim because you can always say game over. You can always unplug the machine. You don't have to play. But isn't that a have to as
3: well? What? Like, say you're talking about someone decides that's it game over. I have to do this because there's no other options, but that's not true. So that, no that option you're taking, that option you're taking to take your life, so to speak mm-hmm. at that point, isn't that a have to, that they have to do that, that they have to do that. Cause there's no other, there's no other choice for them to do it. They're on options. They're at the, they're at the last, the last straw. Mm-hmm. And now it's a have to, well, I would
0: say to a person in that situation, I would understand that they feel like that there are no other options. And I would imagine that that would often be the case. It seems like they're painted into a corner and that's the only option that they
3: have. But well, then isn't that how we are on a daily basis where I have to work? Yeah. I have to pay my bills. Yes. So and there's no other option. So it's, it's, it's the just, same. Thing.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the feeling that one has about something doesn't make it true right? So, I mean, that's the thing. There's right now, there, as we speak on October 10th, 9am Hawaii time, there's hundreds of millions of people who are at work inside, I have to do this. Is it true? No, they don't have to. They can quit. They can go live under a bridge. They can kill themselves. They can get another job. They could have called in sick. They have so many options. So the, the, this is a, a, a simple yet profound um, profoundly important thing to see that we're talking about a basic existential delusion. I have to is never true. And so if you're having the experience of having to do something, you are in delusion. And that's a high standard to hold, but I would say that is adulthood. More specifically, an adult owns the teenage consciousness I have to arising feeling in them and works with it, however they work with it. Whether at the, you know, On a very superficial level, just dismissing it and reminding them actually that they're completely a choice at all times or um, being curious about the part of them that doesn't want to be doing it, reframing the task they don't want to be doing in some other way I don't want to be weeding the garden right now. Okay, well, what makes this more interesting? Let's put on some music in my ears. Okay. It might be that simple. But just to to notice and refuse to live inside the I have to, just like any other delusion. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review and it will bring you to the right place.